Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm ready for you to hack me up, change my life, make my relationship <laughs> better. Just, I mean, everything. I, I, I'm the, I, I'm a vessel for your improvement on all your interviews. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. A- I guess. Amen. Thank you. Speaking of amen, this is uh, our guest this week is Karen oh, Eman. Eman. She's the author of the new book Keep Showing Up, and basically. She talks about how important just constantly showing up for your marriage is, take, treating every day as if it's the first day of your marriage, and how how much that uh, how much of a difference that'll make in your approach to all kinds of things in your marriage. This she she's got some really good. Basically, what, here's how she described it: she took her her own personal relationship journal and then she sweetened it up and turned it into this book. This is her own her own anecdotes and her own knowledge uh knowledge base of of what it takes to make a marriage work and, it, and it's pretty she's written a bunch of books but this one is is, is what a is great, great title i mean yeah. and, and you know i think i've had maybe five or six coaches to say the same thing to me yeah. in my life just yeah. show up man yeah. just, just keep showing up yeah just be be there be right. there for the for your spouse uh every single day and make that choice make that choice to commit um, and, and you give some great tools for how to, how to, how to not bring old baggage into your life. It, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, learned a lot from her and, and just found her to be, um, I don't want to say folksy. Folksy is a bad word for it. it. makes her sound less intelligent than she is, but she's very accessible, very easy to understand with some really good practical takeaways for how you can start improving your marriage literally today. I can't, I'm sorry if I can't remember this. You, 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 did you have, uh, uh, premarital counseling with, uh, pastor Lewis? I did. You guys do that? I yeah. Did. Yeah. Because. I'm just thinking that you know, so many times we don't prepare, especially in relationships, where the are probably the most complicated thing that we'll ever do. Much more complicated than being a CEO of a of a, of a big company, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, and there's there's certainly more at risk because yeah. if, you, if you can't get your relationship right, you're not going to be able to be a good leader anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, this seems like something that that people who are thinking about getting married. It'd be great for him. Yeah, yeah, this is. I mean, and there's, and also in there is learning what you should be really looking for in a mate, right? Because you know, right, right, there's right. there's insight that is universal insight for people that have been married for twenty or thirty years. And by the way, if you're going to get married, I think you should go in expecting it to last twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years. You don't, you don't, you don't, you want to expect it to last right, five, right? So you, if with you, if you go with that expectation, this is a great book and a great interview to listen to to understand what you really should be looking for in a mate. I love it, and you know, premarital counseling is is expensive. 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 This, Just yeah, get the well, free the free gift thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, it's not free. You got to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's right. Sorry, about, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, oh, but before we get started with the with the interview, I found this fascinating. We were talking about it on the radio show before, and you were very familiar with this. There, there are these videos on YouTube that are are very popular. One of them has been watched over seven million times. It doesn't sound like much until I tell you what it is, but it's really been calming people down. It's pressure washing videos. Oh yeah. So watching cars that are that, are, that haven't been washed in two decades. Uh-huh. That's three million views. Oh yeah. Or we're just washing grit and uh, grease and dirt and dirt and grime off. But, but I don't even I don't even know what a pressure washer is. Okay. Really. So here's what a pressure washer is. First of all, you you plug a hose into it and it's got a compressor and basically it forces water through a narrow slit and creates a high pressure water system off of your own standard off of your own garden hose but it has like a big generator size right, like right. thing that that forces the water into the into the narrow passageway and that narrow passageway creates this it's almost like a, a gentle blade of water Whoa. that you can use to to really clean dirt and grime and it's it's a good pressure to take dirt off without taking paint off if you hold it back just far enough if you go really close it'll take paint off too but it is uh, because it is usually put through like a, a slit. You'll, you'll get kind of like a fan of water. 
it creates this really <laughs> exact line in the dirt, like where it's it's like one one side there is a there is a there is a an exact border from dirty to clean, and you can get to see that border and 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 make that border. Uh, I used to work at a summer camp. Oh, she could see Gibbs' face and right we, now. <laughs> and we would pressure wash. We would clean the camp. We would get there early. I was part of a group of guys that would get there before anybody else and clean the camp from all of the winter damage and repaint and stuff. And we would use pressure washers to clean that camp up. And let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. There is nothing as satisfying as pressure washing. I wish I had a piano in front of me. I just like to start playing. I'm just just saying I get it is my point. like a worship song or something. Uh, So listen, sales of pressure. What? I just want a word to the wise. A buddy of mine held a cup and was going to try to cut the cup with the pressure washer. Cut his hand. Cut right through the cup. Split his hand open. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he had to have stitches. Sorry. Yeah, so they, they're legit. So psychologically, when things are clean, we feel a sense of relief. It's what Gibb is talking about. It's cathartic. It taps into a uh, subconscious urge that apparently psychologists call a just-right feeling. It's a sensation that occurs when we put things in order. So you don't have to buy one. You can just watch it on YouTube now. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll still get... But that's, by the way, that's like 99% of stuff. Now, oh, you don't have to climb Mount Everest. You can just watch a guy with a GoPro climb Mount Everest. You get the same experience. <laughs> hey, you know, okay. I got you. Hey, and one more thing before we get to the interview. Uh, it's about uh, wedding dresses. Uh, this is right up your alley, right? Because you know everything about wedding dresses. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, people are re- people are renting dresses. now. It's they, they've had enough. It's a great idea. You know, you know, millennials are the the, the generation a little younger than uh, than yours and your wife's. They uh they they're really smart, right? Mm-hmm. And and so instead of buying a dress that they're just going to wear once and 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 put it in the, in the drawer, whatever in the closet, they're they're not only now can, can you rent. The and the, and the company's called Rent the Runway. Not yep. only are they renting the re- wedding dress, they're renting the engagement party dress, rehearsal dinner, bachelorette party, and uh, and the wedding itself, of course. I, I mean, I think this is a great idea because look, here's the deal: you buy the wedding dress, and they're expensive. It's not you know, it's not an eighty dollar H and M strapless spaghetti strap dress that you that you get and you wear once. It's a, like a ten thousand dollar thing. It can be up. It can be twenty. Yeah. Point being. You're going to wear that dress once. Nobody's, nobody's going like, oh, I got my wedding dress, paid a bunch of money for it, but I use it all the time. Like, I'm going to brunch next week, and I'm going to wear my wedding dress. Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Nobody, you're never right. going to wear it again. Right. And, and fashion's change. So you're not going to give that wedding dress to somebody in your family and have them wear it because they're- Force them be, to wear it. It's going to be dated. Like, you know, poofy sleeves were in for like seven years. Poofy sleeves are not in anymore. <laughs> you know, so, so I- yeah. so, But and then you just have it. And you don't really look at it. You look at their wedding pictures. You don't really go look at the dress. Maybe on a, on a lark- you want to put it on again to see if you can still fit into it. Okay, that's rent, it. rent it again. Yeah, rent it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this is a great way to say the, okay. The, the groom's never going to know. The groom rented his tux. Yeah, it's true. They're both. That's the, true. You know, that's the, true. That's the groom true. is all in on the rental concept. <laughs> 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 There's no groom that cares. Like, well, I really wanted you to oh, own that dress, baby. Nobody feels that way. But and here's the other thing: when you rent, you can get ten times the dress you otherwise would have gotten. That that fifteen, seventeen thousand dress. That's seventeen thousand dollar dress. That's yeah. way out of your budget. You just rented it for a couple hundred bucks. And yeah. Now it's in your budget. It's amazing. It's a, and it's a great, it's a great way. It's a win-win. Yeah. It's a win-win. And by the way, better for the environment because you're not making, you know, 10 million dresses. You're making like, you know, 50 million. <laughs> it's going to end up in one of those uh, storage facilities anyway. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you about, uh, we're going to tell you about this uh, new product that um, one of our great sponsors of the radio show and also of the, the podcast uh, is all about. It's a new product, but it's the company I've been following, Weeder Health. For so many years, back back when Joe Weeder was sponsoring Arnold Schwarzenegger's, is that right? Uh, oh yeah, that because it's all the and they still have all this stuff, you know, all, you know, you know, protein and supplements and everything. But but when I was a scrawny little kid, uh, really thin, you've seen pictures of how thin I was. 
I was I was hitting those those weeder shakes and and following everything that uh, that Schwarzenegger and and uh, you know all the bodybuilders. And I even went to a, I I even covered a bodybuilder event. And they were all they were all chugging those shakes. So anyway, they're not just about uh, uh, protein anymore. They have they have so much science behind their. Not products. your mama's protein. They have a new product, uh, Artery Health, and uh, we we when we come back from this commercial, give us a minute. We're going to play a commercial for Weeder Health and uh, Weeder Artery Health, and when we come back. Uh, our interview with, with Karen Eman. Here we go. Weeder Artery Health. Hey, it's John Tesh here to tell you about Weeder Artery Health. If you have heart issues or heart problems run in your family, I urge you to check out Weeder Artery Health, and here's why. When it comes to heart problems, the problem typically isn't with the heart, it's with your arteries. So it's crucial to maintain healthy and flexible arteries, and that's where Weeder Artery Health comes in. It contains clinically researched key ingredients like vitamin K2, which is hard to get enough of from food alone. Weeder Artery Health uses MenaQ7 as the source of vitamin K2. It's been clinically shown to help transport calcium to your bones and out of your arteries. Weeder Artery Health also contains an ingredient called Aronia Berry, which improves circulation and balances blood pressure by keeping arteries open and flexible. Proper blood flow is your lifeline, and I want you to live a long, healthy life. So. Grab a box of Weeder Artery Health at your local Costco, or you can get it online at Costco.com, or go to Weeder.com, Weeder.com for Weeder Artery Health. Very excited to be talking to you right now, Karen Eamon. You are, you're a lot of things. I mean, you're a best-selling author. You are a writer for the First Five Devotional app. You're a major speaker with Proverbs 31 Speaker. You're, you're, you're all of these things. I'm so glad that we have an actual chance to, to sit down and talk to you. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, you have a a, a new book out, uh, or I mean, newish, uh, and it's it's keep showing up. It's a, it's a marriage book. Why why did you decide to write this? Why did you decide to write this book? Well, you know, kind of for two reasons. I actually, in a way, wrote it for myself. I've been married <laughs> over I've been married over thirty years, but you know, marriage isn't always a walk in the park, and mm-hmm. sometimes I just need to preach to myself and say, "Hang in there. You can do it." You know, all the things you forget in the heat of a moment in a fight or whatever you need to remind yourself of. So now it's all in one place. I can just go give myself a little encouragement. But I think that's so like your personal, your personal marriage journal that you've now yes. turned into a book for other people yes. to read. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the other reason, honestly, is just because, you know, my husband and I have been married for over 30 years. We've been involved in the, the lives of a lot of married couples. And I've just seen this pattern over the last couple decades of people getting to a point in their marriage where, you know, it's not what they thought it would be, or it gets a little boring, or it gets Mm -hmm. a little mundane, or the stress of kids and all of this. And there's just this tendency to go, "Ah, forget it, I'm just going to throw in the towel. And sometimes we just need that, that voice that is telling us to, to hang in there. You know, I'm not talking about like really serious situations where someone does need to get out of a marriage. You know, I just want to say that from the get go. Right. Just those average, ordinary bumps in the road, places where we get to a hard spot and we need somebody to say, it's going to be okay, hang in there, let's, let's, let's keep going. And I needed that encouragement in my real life. And I, I see a lot of people that don't have that in their face-to-face relationships. So I kind of wanted to be that friend on the page that gave them some encouragement to, to keep showing up and doing the hard work of marriage. And, that, and that's important. And I feel like people give up uh, really easily in this day and age that we see these these differences sometimes as being fatal blows to a marriage. Can you uh, 
Can you help us understand better where that line is? Where what are those what are those hard lines that you really do need to get out of marriage, and where are the lines where you know you need to honor your commitment? Yeah, absolutely. If there's any sort of abuse going on, there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse. You know, if there is something that's a serious situation, people need to seek help. I actually start the book by saying that, like, put this book down if you're in one of those situations. This mm-hmm. isn't for you. This is not for you. This is for just those those common things that we all struggle with: personality differences, uh, you know, how we attack life, uh, maybe situations where we're going through some financial trouble or we're, you know, going through some trouble with the in-laws. Those just normal things that come about when you're married to somebody. Those are the times where, when we're dealing with an external frustration, often we can turn that on our spouse and we kind of vent and <laughs> take it out on our spouse mm. and really. And really, the issue is not the issue. The issue is we're dealing with something frustrating right. in our life, and our spouses are often a safe target to just unload on, right? So I, I feel like kind of the, the drawing line for me is, you know, is this something that really is is potentially damaging to me because the spouse or, you know, whatever person in the marriage, it's not always the husband that is abusive, but if there is a spouse that is really causing serious damage and there needs to be some external help, or is it just these internal frustrations and we need a place to go for encouragement? Right. Right. And, and I think that's important. Like, again, you know, we, we, we usually lash out at, and not in an abusive way, like, like you said, let's, let's put a pin for the rest of this conversation in the, um, you know, if, if it's abuse, you, you do, you need to get out. Um, and you need, and you may need help getting out and that's, that's different, but, but let's talk about just the, the average run of the mill, not run of the mill, but cause it's all, it's all individual and, and difficult, but the, the kinds of problems you're talking about where we hurt the ones we care about the most, the most easily. So, you know, why do we lash out at our spouses? Is it just because the, because of proximity, is that the function? Well, you know, I, I always think of it this way. My, my friends or, you know, my coworkers or, you know, you and I, you and I have just met today, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm going to treat you in a way so is that you're going to like me, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. be kind to you, I'm gonna, you, you right. might make me mad, like we might, might bump up against something that you do something that irritates me, but I'm not going to really maybe let that show. Now, unless you're on social media, then people kind of vent all over the place, <laughs> right. but, but, in, but in person, you know, just interpersonal relationships with friendships, coworkers and stuff, I feel like we kind of are on our best behavior because we want them to like us. But then with our family members, and this just isn't spouses, it can be children as well. Mm. It's like they we don't they don't have to like us they love us right right we're we're married to them or we're their parent or whatever and we don't have to work at hard as as at making them like our behavior and we don't have to be as kind to them perhaps because they're not going anywhere but right. my friend if I don't treat them well they might go find another friend you know it's it's that that familiarity breeds contempt old saying in a little mm. bit way I think. And, you know, like I said, it's, they're an easy target. And I, I feel like we almost think they have to put up with our bad behavior because, you know, there's no way out, you know, there is actually, but you know, I I don't know. It's just this weird dynamic. I often think of my goodness, if my friend just said this to me, I would not have unloaded. Right, 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 right. Oh, because I, well, I, don't, I don't want them to think I'm a terrible person, but you know, my mm-hmm. husband's seen my worst and my best and he still loves me anyway. So it's just a weird dynamic, I think. Yeah, I, I think I, I, it's sort of ironic, right? Like the, the nature of the commitment kind of creates the context under which you can erode that commitment. 
That is such a good way to put it. That that is exactly what it is. Which is, is which is a which is a huge bummer. <laughs> right? Like, because here's the person that you really are like this is the person whose whose view of you you really should care about the most because you've said that you're going to stick with each other f- through everything and you want that person to like you you should in theory want that person to like you more than anybody else since you know it's like you're stuck in a capsule going from uh, from from earth to mars right you, you're with that person you don't really have a choice you got to try to make it work and yet we that's the person that we kind of that we kind of treat with the least amount of of attention Yes. The person you say you love the most is often who you treat the worst. It's terrible. It's really bad, isn't it? I just think I need to get off the phone and go apologize to my husband about something. And I don't even know what I've done. Right. right. We'll wait. We'll yeah. just pause it right now. Everybody go, go apologize and then we'll, and then we'll pick it back up. Uh, in your book, you do talk about the, um, about why opposites attract at the beginning and why that can be detrimental long-term. Uh, so, so I guess why do opposites attract if that doesn't work for a long-term monogamous relationship? Because what I feel like happens, and I've observed this in my own marriage and with lots of people I've come in contact with over my adult years, and I think I even saw it a little bit when I was a teenager observing some marriages, those things that first attract us to our spouse, the things that we love about them, those opposite characteristics, when those qualities in our spouse are not kept in check and they get carried to an extreme, they now become a weakness. Let me give you an example. My husband Please, loved- because I'm, I'm confused. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So my husband loved that I could talk. I'm very opposite than him. He's quiet and laid back. I like to talk. Mm-hmm. That was an opposite thing he loved about me. But when left unchecked, my talking can get carried to an extreme. And now it comes out as conversation monopolization. You know, I talk too much. I talk too soon. I talk too often. Mm. And so that strength of, of being a good communicator can get carried to an extreme. And it's now a weakness, or as my husband and I like to call them, we don't call them weaknesses, we call them non-strengths, okay? So it's one of my <laughs> non-strengths. Okay. On the flip side... Great distinction. Yeah, really. On the, on the flip side, my husband is laid back. He's agreeable. I I love how he's just a go-with-the-flow kind of guy, doesn't really have a lot of opinions. I loved it when we were dating in college because, you know, I'd say, where do you want to go out to dinner and what movie do you want to see? And he'd say, I don't care you pick. And I love that setup, you know? Mm-hmm. So that laid backness, easy going, go with the flow kind of guy, strength, opposite from me, gets carried to an extreme. It comes across as passivity. In fact, when we were first married, about three days into our honeymoon, he thought about this talking with me and he thought, is she ever going to shut up? In fact, he's, he always teases that if I pass away before he does, he's going to simply put on my tombstone a period because I'm finally done talking. <laughs> so, and, then, and then I looked at him, you know, about three months maybe into our marriage. And this laid backness, doesn't make decisions quickly, agreeable sort of guy. His behavior came across as passivity. I wanted him to just like make a decision already. So we always right. tease, you know, he was passive. It made me get aggressive. We have a passive aggressive marriage. But, you know, I think those strengths that we have when we carry them to an extreme, they now come across as a non-strength and they can drive our spouse nuts. In fact, I think a lot of times if you look at something that's really bothering you about your your spouse's personality, um, if you look at the flip side of it, there's probably a strength. Like I said, you know, my husband being laid, laid mm-hmm. too late back and passive. Really, that's good. He is a, a all-purpose, go-with-the-flow person. Very agreeable. I don't know a single person that doesn't like him. He just gets along with everybody. 
you know, and if he thinks, oh, I don't like how she just makes decisions so quickly and she has to talk about everything. Right. Yes, that's true. But then there's sometimes that, you know, we need to talk about something. So I think if you can learn to see those strengths and non-strengths as a package deal, it can be a beautiful thing in your marriage because you each bring different things to the table that you don't have as individuals, but you do have as a couple. Right. Right. I mean, and I think like, I think if you can find that rhythm in your marriage over time where, uh, where you start to appreciate not like, not that they're strengths and non-strengths and not even the ways that it irritates you, but the ways that having that in your life makes you better. So maybe, maybe you do need to find some time to be laid back and to let yourself, uh, let yourself go with the flow. And maybe he does need to advocate for himself a little bit better. And like, like you, and, and as a couple, you can fill in those gaps more than somebody who's exactly like you. Exactly. And yeah. for us, for us, you know, where that comes across for us is in decision-making. So right. my, my husband is, you know, a little slower to make decisions. He wants to think things through, maybe mm-hmm. overthink it in my opinion. And so I always tease that he looks at a problem uh, that needs to be attacked and says, ready, aim. Oh, hang on. got to make sure I'm aiming. Aim. Wait, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm going to aim. And I'm like, just fire already. <laughs> but the way I attack decisions sometimes, honestly, is ready, fire. Wait, was I supposed to aim? You know? Right, right, right. So, so when we come to a point in our marriage where we have to make a decision, whether it's about what new house to buy or what to do with one of the kids for school or whatever, we really stop and 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 try to, in a rational manner and in a sane way, just say, okay, you know, I'm going to want to just make it right now. And, and Todd knows he's going to want to think about it for three weeks. So what, what kind of compromise can we come to? What time frame can we have? Um, which way is going to be better? Are we under a time crunch here? And mm. can we honestly just bring all of who we are when it comes to making decisions to this package deal? Because, you know, in our mind, it's no accident that we're together. We're supposed right, to be together. Right, right. And this decision is going to get made. And if we are, are deferring to each other, letting the other person talk, really trying to see it from their point of view, often the decision that comes out is nothing either of us wanted in the beginning. It's a compromise. It's someplace mm-hmm. in between. But we need to learn to not see their different ways as wrong because we do that yeah. all the time. Yeah, we say difference is wrong. Difference not wrong. Difference just different. And right. sometimes their difference better than your way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you... I mean, I, I think I feel like there's a lot of our listeners right now who are maybe a decade or two into their marriage and who m- may not have, because I don't think a lot of people do, have that healthy view of where these differences are. But instead, it's like a uh, it's like a pebble in their shoe, where it has just worn and worn and worn into a into a sore on the bottom of their feet. This um, this this difference, right? Uh, and maybe that they, maybe they've irritated and built up resentment over a decade of their spouse. How do you start turning that around to an appreciation of differences as opposed to the wound of the differences? I think the first step is not to just keep looking at the wound and, and reacting to the wound, but to realize what got you there, what was it about them and their behavior that caused that wound, and then honestly talk about it with them. Don't go in an accusatory way, you always do this, you never do that, but instead you know, kind of ask some clarifying questions and say like, okay, when you said this, it made me feel this way. Is that what you meant? Like what I, I think I heard you saying, is that what you meant? Mm. And, and really get to the bottom of it rather than just jumping to 
that pain point where now it is a wound. Now it's my husband. And I refer to things like this as file numbers. Like, okay, here we come pulling out file 13, mm-hmm, the same thing mm-hmm. we've dealt with over and over again. We're going to bring out the file. We're going to hash it all over. And then we're going to stuff it back in the file drawer till it rears its ugly head again. Instead of talking more about what we hear when our spouse says something or what we perceive when they behave in a certain way and how it makes us feel Sometimes peeling back those layers and getting to the bottom of it is a lot healthier than just reacting to the wound and saying, there you did it again. This is how you always act, you know, or this is what you always do or you always say. Sometimes our spouse is totally lost because that's not what they intended at all. Does that make sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think words like always are kind of damaging in in and of themselves. There is a defeatist element to it and also a, um, also, an assumption that 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 that's that that's your behavior pattern that you can't really break. Even and to your point, even when you don't uh, intend that. So I just I, I mean I, I feel for all the people out there right now who who don't know how to break that that spell they have with their spouse and try to start to to undo that wound. Um, if you're the one that you know you've been wounding your spouse, how do you start to unravel that on the opposite side of it? Oh, that certainly happened, you know, both ways in our marriage that there's certain things that I've done over the years that that Todd reacts to and gets hurt by and and vice versa. And I think for me, I recognized a pattern kind of in our relationship where there were certain times I could tell that his heart was deflated because of how I'd acted Mm -hmm. or something I'd said. And so I tried to dig a little deeper, you know, when the the issue is not the issue, there's something behind it Mm. and and asked him like, tell me, shoot straight with me. I can take it, you know, don't dance around it. Cause I think for my husband, the way he rolls in his personality, not everyone rolls this way, but he is an avoider. Like I'm a, I'm a exploder. <laughs> like I just want to talk about it right now and mm. let's get it over with. He would rather avoid to not have the conflict and not have to right. say the thing that might hurt me. Oh so my gosh, to... me too. That is me. Really? I, I love conflict avoidance. I will avoid conflict all day long. Yeah. Yeah. And that is how he is. So I've had to say, look, I feel like something's going on here. I really want you to level with me and I can take it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to blow up. And I want you to tell me the truth because I want to move forward. I want things to be better. And so he said some pretty hard things to me and maybe they made me mad or maybe they kind of hurt my heart because I thought that's not at all what I meant. Mm. Um, but getting it out in the open is the first step. You can't, you know, if you just keep sweeping stuff under the rug, that rug's just going to grow and grow and grow. And you're going to wonder what in the world is under there. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, exactly. But if, but if you just explode all the time, like my personality rolls, then, you know, it's like a war zone around your house. You've got to come to a point where you don't do either, where you say, we're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to explode. We are going to, be honest, upfront, not react, attack the problem, not the person, right? So that's what I have to tell myself. When and in the heat of all of this, I I kind of see the person as the problem. And so I just kind of yeah, attack Karen, how do you husband. how do you do that? How do you separate the problem like because honestly I think I mean it, I feel like especially I think at every stage of marriage it, you're it, when when it's early on we, and you're starting to become you're 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 starting to build your life together everything the person does is a reflect it becomes a new reflection of who they are as you're getting to know them in this new context and then if you've been married for forever how do you i can you separate that i mean I, can you separate that problem from the person i, I just i like give me some tools 
so that I can start doing that because I feel I feel like that's a huge trap. Well, you know, one really simple one. My husband and I have done this first. Okay, we are going to be married 33 years next month. Congratulations. So 30, huge feat. Thank you. Thank you. And we're doing it one day at a time. We're going to stay <laughs> married today. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to do it all over again. But one thing that we have done, and I'm telling you, it was advice that was given to us by some mentors when we were in college and we were engaged. And we have done it over and over again. Sometimes we don't have to do it for months. And sometimes we do it 16 times in a week. But in the, in the heat of conflict, when I am just so upset or he is just so upset with me and, and there's a kerfluffle mm-hmm. <laughs> breaking out that's mild or there's an all-out war breaking out, we will stop and one of us will say to the other one, wait a minute, you are not my enemy. You're not my enemy. You are my ally. We've got to quit seeing each other as the enemy. We are together. We are going to keep showing up. We're going to do this hard work of marriage and we're going to not look at each other as the enemy. Together, we're going to hold hands and we're going to attack this problem because there's a problem here. Mm. But the problem is not you and the problem is not me. The problem is our communication or the problem is Mm. our wrong perceptions or whatever it is. You're not my enemy. I, I want us together to turn shoulder to shoulder and attack the problem instead of standing face to face and just attacking each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and that, that sounds a lot, um, it's, it's much easier, uh, said than done. Yeah. <laughs> when one yeah. Of, I'm telling you when one of us stops in the middle of a spat and says, wait a minute, you're not my enemy. Usually I start crying, you know, mm-hmm. and my husband will go, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it. You're not my enemy. You're my wife. I love you. We're going to get through this. We've gotten through all the rest of them for 33 years. Right. We're going to get through it. It's just right now. It's rising to the surface. It's causing a, you know conflict and some outbursts and and some heated discussions. But we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it because you are not my enemy. You're my spouse. I love you. I chose you, and I'm going to keep choosing you over and right. over again. Right. And a reminder that you're on the same team. That you guys chose yes. to make a team together, and that you're on the same team. And uh, and I loved your, I loved what you were saying before this idea that, you know, the results of that, of your decision-making together are not always what you want, but they are a reflection of a compromise for the two of you and probably reflect the dynamic nature of the team better than, uh, if one of you had just taken over, yes, you know, and, exactly. and, and, and probably better for the both of you in the long run. Yes. And, you know, I, I want to share a little snippet of something my friend Mary said to me once she's kind of my accountability partner. She's, she's the one I run to and I can know that she's my locked box. If I have to vent with her about something in my marriage, you know, she's going to believe the best and she's going to point me in the right direction. She's not just going to pat me on the back and say, Oh, poor baby. Oftentimes she takes my husband's side. In fact, I tease that I'm going to send her a thank you card if we make it to 50 years. But anyhow, (laughs) one day I was, one day I was venting to her about the way Todd was handling something. And I was just going off like, and he said this and he did that. And that is not right. And I should, you know, we should do it this way. And Blah, 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 blah. All of these wrong ways, not just different, wrong ways he was attacking this problem. I think it was a problem with the in-laws, if my memory serves me correct. But anyhow, I'll never forget what she said to me when I was venting about this. She said, you know what, Karen, just stop. Just stop. You always think that Todd has to think like you, behave like you, attack life like you, you know, do all of these things the exact way that you would. But you know what, if he believed everything you believed, attacked Mm. life like you do, and did everything the exact same way that you did, one of you is unnecessary. Your marriage doesn't need two Karens. It needs one Karen 
and one Todd. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock it off. And I remember being mad when she said that to me. I'm like, wow, who does she think she, you know? And then I thought, she's right. She's right. The, the different perspectives we have, the different ways of attacking things, the different thought patterns we have, when we put them together and we learn to compromise in a loving and healthy way, it can be awesome. Mm-hmm. Instead of always thinking, you know, you got to do things my way or him thinking, no, you got to do things my way. Yeah, really, if you if you thought exactly we're carbon copies of each other, one of you would be unnecessary. You know, what kind of marriage is that? It's two opposites kind of coming together to form something that neither of you have individually. Yeah, I'm going to start using that. My marriage doesn't need two Karens. My wife's <laughs> name is not Karen, but I'm still going to use it. There you go. Because I really like that. I really like that as just a reminder. You know, no marriage needs two Karens. No. Um, and to any couple out there where you're both named Karen, I don't mean any offense. I just, oh, we just don't need two Karen Emans in any marriage. That's right. There you go. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that that, I think that really drives home that idea of, of why, why, even though it can be difficult in the long run, the, the having a spouse who is different from you, dynamically different from you, uh, do, do you know the Enneagram? I talk about this on the show all the time, but do you know the Enneagram? Yes, I do. Uh, and and one of the things I love so much about the tool that is the Enneagram, and, and I think some people maybe buy into it a little too hardcore, but but I do like it as a tool. And I do like how um, how it allows you to create those sort of, how, how it allows you to understand what the healthiest dynamic interplay is between you and your spouse. Because you can understand where your type goes in their healthiest and how to bring out the healthiest part in your spouse's type. And I think that that's really healthy. So I'm, I'm a seven and, and my, my wife is a two. And um, so she feels a lot of things and I don't feel anything. Um, and so how we, how, we, how we navigate is by understanding how the other person sees it. And I, I find the Enneagram is, is a really useful tool for that. How, does that. Does that work for you? You said, yes, I do in a very sing-songy way, which makes me think you do yes. know the Enneagram. I do. I know. I know it pretty well, but not as as well as my twenty eight year old daughter. She's like, you can't get a converse through a conversation right. with her when she's when she's home without her assigning numbers to everybody. But yeah, I'm a three wing too, so I'm an achiever and a helper. And my husband, you could probably guess what he is. So, Mister Laidback, go along seven. with flow. Nine. Nine. Peacemaker. Oh, peacemaker. See, I'm a seven, and I'm go with the flow. Yeah, you are go with the flow because you're yeah. a piece or a seven is what are they called again? I know my the, my the enthusiast. Is Oh, that's right. Yes. We're all going to have fun all the time. Yes, we are. Yes, yes, yes. So no, I think Enneagram can be a great tool. Again, as long as people don't use it as a weapon and go, of course, you're going to say that because you're a one or whatever. Right. (laughs) Right. And then it just and then it just becomes annoying. So anyway, I, 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 I went off on a little tangent there. But I but I do think like, like you said, it does it that gives you the Enneagram gives some kind of it gives language to this idea that you're talking about where you need to start appreciating each other's differences and, and not trying to change them, but find what the healthiest use of those differences are. Oh, yeah. And I, you're exactly right. It's such a great tool. Like even in the example that I used about decision making. Mm-hmm. So I see decisions as achieving. Mm-hmm. We check that one off the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's check that one off the right, list. Right, so I'm right, an achiever. Right. I want to make the decision fast. Talk about it fast. Get on to the next decision. Totally. My husband is such a peacemaker that if making the decision brings any conflict at all or any discussion, because he gets, he's got a very uh, limited amount of words every day, and he's out of words when he comes home from work. You know, right, so there's a lot right. of talk about anymore. He just wants there to be peace, and so he's just going to avoid it. He's just going to go avoid it like the plague. 
just to keep the peace. We don't need to talk about it. And I'm over here like wanting to check it off my list. You know, I'm achieving these decisions. So I think, you know, couples learning about the Enneagram can be a really, really great tool. Again, as long mm-hmm. as they don't start using it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I think it actually aligns nicely with some of the points that, that you've been making so far. You use two different, you use a uh, homophone, soulmate and soulmate. Uh, for those of you who don't, homophone is two words that sound exactly the same but are spelled and mean different things. So so soulmate, S-O-U-L, uh, and you like, you like S-O-L-E mate. Yes. What, what is the difference and why do you like one better than the other? Oh, I'm going to make some people mad right now, but I'm I'm just going to do it, right? Do so, it. Pull up, rip off that Band-Aid. Oh. Reveal that truth. Look <laughs> underneath that rock and find the grubs that are our preconceived notions of what marriage should be. Well, I think it's this whole notion of soulmate, S-O-U-L, that really grinds me because people have this, this notion mm-hmm. that before you are married, you are a half person and you're just kind of floating around the universe looking for that other half person who's going to join with you as a perfect puzzle piece match and say, oh, you complete me. Okay, like my 90s are showing or whatever decade that was. (laughs) My 90s are showing. (laughs) You know, you complete me. And now these two half people have come together because they found their soulmate. Mm. And it sets up a really, really dangerous and, and in my opinion, wrong view of marriage that it's two half people coming together who are now finally whole. Well, first of all, if you're single and you're listening to this, you are not a half person. You are a whole That's person. That's really an important corollary you know? for this. Yes. Uh, and when you come together and you find that quote unquote soulmate, it sets up a very dangerous practice in my opinion, because now you are going to that person for your happiness. Right. You know? And you are thinking that marriage is all about you and it's going to be so easy because you found this soulmate and you go to that person for things that in my opinion, in my worldview, you can only get from God. You know, only God can know you thoroughly and meet your every need and, and be that, that being for you that you go to for true joy. And when we go to our spouse for the things that in my opinion, only God can give you, it's just a setup for disaster. And then Mm. you think, oh my goodness. I guess they weren't my soulmate. And so you go looking for someone else. Instead of looking at that mate, once you've made that commitment, you've walked down the aisle right. as soulmate, your S-O-L-E. I'm going to stop looking. I'm going to stop looking. And I'm going to look to this person to grow me as a, a human being. And yes, we're going to have some rough times, but we're going to have some good times. And he's or she is going to grow as an individual. And I'm going to grow as an individual. And we're going to grow together. And we're going to journey through life. Right. The journey well, is the S-O-L-E, right? Yes. And we're going to stay together. My soulmate, right. I'm not going to look to them for things that only God can give me. And I'm not going to look to them to meet my every need and make me happy because no human being on the face of the earth can do that. And when we go to our spouse for our happiness and for our validation and they fail, which they will, right. you will, I will, right. Then, then it's just a recipe for disaster. Instead of Grabbing our spouse's hand, walking through life together, learning, growing. Yes, you find joy in your in your marriage at times. Other times, you find frustration. Right, and, and you you keep going. You keep showing yeah. up. You get through it together. I think that's a big. I think you just hit on something that I think is one of the bigger dangers of of the idea of the soulmate again, which is that if you think that someone is perfect for you, is is that this other half that when they when you are with them, it will just resonate and feel good. 
when it inevitably doesn't feel good, and that is a really important reality of marriage, is there will be times when it doesn't feel good to be married, you're going to question whether or not this person is your soulmate, and then you're going to go back to that original conversation we were having, which is you're going to step away from the commitment and think, oh, I, I need to stop showing up. You know, I need mm-hmm. to, I need to, uh, I've made a mistake and I need to, I need to remove myself from this as opposed to that, that underlying commitment that's meant to keep you guys through the whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I think if we can learn to not see our spouse as oh, like the source of our happiness or the source of our joy, but instead right. see them right. as a, a tool that is going to be used in our life to grow us up. <laughs> cool. Yeah, true. They're going to grow us up. They're going to um, help us to become more patient, help us to become right. more filled with grace. They're going to be that tool that is used in our life <laughs> to make us a better person. You know, I, I, I talk in the I book. About- I can't imagine on a romantic note to your spouse, just, I just want you to know, you've really taught me patience over <laughs> years of marriage because I've had to put up with you. Yeah! So thank you for that. Happy Valentine's Day. No, but I talk in the book about sandpaper, right? Mm-hmm. That I like to look at spouses as they're my sandpaper spouse. Sometimes right. my husband runs me the wrong way, right? But as I learned in shop class in the eighth grade with my teacher, Mr. Cassidy, sandpaper, yeah, it's rough. It's gritty. You know, it doesn't feel good when it's rubbed on you. But when you use it on a piece of wood, mm. it can be something smooth and beautiful and functional, right. even though it doesn't feel good in the moment. So when I say your spouse is a tool, what I mean is... You know, sandpaper. They, they, yeah, they polish you. They make you better. Mm. They they help you to be more patient. They help yeah. you to be more loving. And I think, of, honestly, people in really dire situations, like not just the frustrations of marriage. Let's say your spouse is always late and it drives you insane. But what do you do when, and I know some people like this in real life, when your spouse has a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. and now they they can't do things for themselves and they can't do things as quickly. And they really do teach you patience. Those marriages are some of the most, I just want to cry talking about it. Some of the most beautiful marriages where a spouse has had to learn to truly be patient mm-hmm. with, with their, their husband or wife because of something dire they've been through and to see the growth in them as human beings and how they just radiate love and grace and patience and forgiveness and stick to and, you know, in it for the long haul, I look at that and think, how can they do that with their spouse in this really horrible situation? And I can't be late or I can't be patient with my husband because he's late all the time. Like mm-hmm. what kind of human thing am I? You know, right. what I'm it's, it's learning to see those little irritants, you know, and you've probably heard that, uh, that, probably overused analogy that, uh, you know, a pearl is formed from that irritant, you know, it's learning to see that as something that is going to be used in our life to make us a better person. If we learn to deal with it properly, instead of just always looking at you do that wrong and you are irritating me, but to think, no, you know, I'm, I'm learning patience. (laughs) I'm, I'm another lesson in grace today, you know, and granting grace to someone and, and, and believing the best and not always assuming the worst. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, right there is the reason for the title of your book. You got to keep showing up. You got to keep trying to find that way to see the best in your spouse. You got to keep trying to find the SOLE mate of it to, you know, putting in that shoe leather as opposed to thinking it's just going to feel good. And I think that's, I mean, I, I think that therein lies the, I'm just going to say this, the genius of the title of your book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a like one sentence sermon I preached myself every morning when I get up 
that keep I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to keep showing up. And my friend Becky told me something that I've never forgotten. She Be- said Becky that, with the good hair? Becky with the good hair. What does that mean? It's a, yeah, sorry. Keep going. It's a, it was a bad, it was a bad Beyonce reference. Keep going. Oh, 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 oh okay. I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes. No, my friend Becky said that she was in a frustrating time in her marriage and she went to her father and said, you know, you and mom have been married decades and you seem to have a good marriage. You know, how in the world? Tell me a secret. I need a tool here. I need mm-hmm. some help. And he said that every morning he told himself this. It's the first day that I've been married to my wife. I'm waking up and it's the first day. I'm not mm-hmm. going to remember the, the rest. I'm going to treat her as if today was the first morning I woke up on our honeymoon. You know, would you look, look over your spouse and go, oh, my gosh, oh, he's still making me mad. You know, or right. would you go, oh, I'm married. But, you know, the one I loved, it's, it's the first day we've got our whole life ahead of us. And you <laughs> only can learn to do that when you wipe the slate clean, yeah. when you grant grace, you offer forgiveness over and over again. Don't get historical, you know, dredging up the past, not hysterical. I, I do both. Actually, I get hysterical and historical. But right. dredging Sometimes up the Sometimes you get historical in your hysteria. <laughs> For sure. But, you know, we leave the past in the past. We deal with it. We, we learn from it. We move on and we go, it's a new day. Mm-hmm. I'm hitting I'm hitting the restart button. I'm going to keep showing up, but I'm going to keep showing up looking to the future and the potential rather than looking in the past at the regret and the frustration. I mean, easier said than done, but yes, a, a, a beautiful a beautiful way of looking at it. It sounds a little bit like uh, remember the movie 50 First Dates with uh, yes. with uh, Drew Drew Barrymore and uh, uh, Adam mm-hmm. Sandler. Yes. Uh, it just it's a little bit like that. You got to give yourself retrograde amnesia. So yeah. that you can make it through your marriage in this Yeah, and I and I know I sounds a little pie in the sky sing songy, but sometimes what we really do need is an attitude adjustment. And yeah. and No, it's true. That's true. You know, and just to say and instead of going down this path, you know, I think of it as in the old uh pioneer days, the wagons going down the ruts that yeah. all the wagons before, you know, instead of getting in that rut where we're going down the same path, I'm gonna stop myself and I'm gonna say no. I'm mm. not going to get in that path and go, you always, you never, just like right, the other right, day, right, just, right, like, right, right. just like three years ago at the church picnic when you blah, blah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to say, good morning. Can I get you a cup of coffee? I'm going to mm-hmm. treat my spouse like I would treat a friend. I'm going to be kind and loving and forgiving. And when you can change your attitude and then in turn, it changes your behavior and you treat your spouse differently. You say something differently mm-hmm. than they're expecting of how you usually roll, it like puzzles them. They're like, yeah. who's, who's yeah. this? Right. Oh, it's a new, it's my new spouse. They're behaving in a new way. It, it infuses a newness and it also kind of goes back to those early days when you were first married and you mm-hmm. were like so happy because you'd found the one, right? Mm-hmm. It's preaching that little sermon to ourselves, snapping our attitudes to attention and behaving in a different manner than is expected. And that is our normal way of, of dealing with things that never ends well, usually. But yeah. sometimes it, I don't know, we go down that, those, those paths because they feel familiar mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it feels good to vent and all that. But if, if we can stop ourselves, change our attitude, change our behavior, we're going to see a different result. I also think human beings have a tremendous capacity to surprise each other like, and for change and to be able to, to show. I, mean, I, I think we are way more complex than anybody's projection of us could possibly understand. So there's more going on in your spouse's mind than even you can perceive. And if you give them the benefit of that doubt, uh, you can discover new things about them constantly for for the entire finite time of your marriage you'll be able to you'll be able to learn new things about them oh yeah yeah Yeah. in fact my husband and i oh it's a couple years ago now 
we went out on a date one time and I brought along a whole list of questions. I actually ended up putting them in the book, getting to know you again questions. Mm. You know, mm. we, had been, we had been married 25 years at this point. And I remember we had gone out to breakfast and this is just a silly little example of what you're talking about. We had gone out to breakfast and he had some biscuits and he took the little basket of jams and jellies and he was like digging through it pretty intently. And I'm like, what's up with you? What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for orange marmalade. And I said, orange marmalade? You don't like orange marmalade. And he goes, no, I love orange marmalade. You've just never purchased it. Ooh. And I'm like, you didn't mean that in a bad way. I actually make our own jams and jellies. I make raspberry jam, mm. um, strawberry jam. I make homemade jams. My, my family's kind of jam snobs. They won't eat store-bought stuff. But I've never made orange marmalade. Don't even know if I would attempt it. But I never knew that about him. And I'm like, are you kidding? And he said, no, I love it. My mom used to buy it all the time. And this particular restaurant had orange marmalade. And I thought, after 25 years, I never knew that about him. It's a silly little fact. But I thought, what else don't I know about him? So I came up with this, this list of 20 questions. And we went out on a date. We didn't get through very many. But we started asking each, taking turns, asking each other this list of questions. Like, you know, when you were a kid, what was your favorite TV show and why? And that would spark sometimes a 20-minute conversation and it was a little known fact I never knew about my spouse, even though I've mm. known him uh, for now over, well, almost 35 years. I've known him since, of course, we were, I'm going to just say we were five when we met, right? Yeah, right, right, met. right. You got, I mean, you, <laughs> and you look great for 40. Oh, thank you. But anyhow, those little things, your spouse does have the capacity to surprise you, both in their behavior and in their, what they're capable of doing good in your relationship. And mm. then all these just little trivial things yeah. we never knew. We never knew. And when we get to those places in marriage where it's kind of boring and mundane, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it infuse some magic back into the mundane when we just get to know each other all over again with silly little questions. I actually love that for breaking up the mundan mundanity, mundanity. I don't know. I'm not I'm, the, the, the <laughs> mundaneness. <laughs> mundaneness. That's the word. <laughs> the, but from breaking up the mundane in your in your marriage is is, is to is to try to find ways. And I, and I, it's, that right there is a reason enough to buy the book. Uh, link again in the show notes. Uh, uh, but the the idea that, that that there is more to learn about your spouse. You brought up something a little bit ago about a benefit of comparing your marriage when you compare it to people who have had real trauma, and how much that makes you appreciate even uh, even how much it makes you appreciate the little annoying things that your spouse does because they are so much less annoying. But in your book, you talk about some of the dangers of of broader comparisons, and I think. I think this is something that's really unhealthy in our society in general right now and is really contributing to eroding a lot of people's perception of their own marriage and their own relationships. And that's, and that's the comparison to other people um, and when, what, especially what you see on social media. Oh, yeah. Social media, I tell you, we could do two days about social media. Right, yeah. you know, it, it can be a great tool. I'm not against social media. I have it. I use it. But it can be a great tool. But Follow Karen Eamon on all social media <laughs> platforms, by the way. <laughs> so funny. But I think it can also be very destructive when we compare what we see on a screen. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you're looking at the computer screen, your phone screen, your tablet screen. But we compare what we see on the screen, the perception people are putting off, to what's really happening within our four walls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we hop on, and it's not just with marriage, but we hop on maybe... Facebook and we see that somebody has posted that their student just won student of the month at their middle school. And about that time your phone rings and it's the vice principal calling to tell you that your child was involved in a prank 
with a substitute teacher that involved firecrackers. And <laughs> Wait, this, is, this is not, oddly specific. This is oddly specific, Karen. No, I'm not, not that that's ever happened to anybody I know. <laughs> but, you know, or you, you pop on and you, you're on Instagram and you and your spouse are sitting there with reheated leftovers and you just had a fight. Mm-hmm. And you see your friend is out to a fancy restaurant with her mm. perfectly manicured nails and strategically her new upgraded diamond ring placed in the picture. And you think, wow, must be nice. Seems like they have a right. wonderful right. Just like the, the, the friend who has the middle schooler. Seems like she doesn't have any problems with her child. You know, it mm-hmm. seems like everyone has it better than you and we're coming apart at the seams. Yeah. And I, S-E-E-M-S. You know, because we only see what people want to put Fourth is their best foot. Now I'm not saying that there that's aren't another people... homophone you've just used coming apart at the it. seams. This is a this is a pattern with you. <laughs> we have to work on this because this I'm is an audio person. podcast and it's hard it's hard to get. Okay, so coming yeah. coming apart at the seams, S E E M S, because yeah. your marriage starts to fall apart at the places where you perceive other people to be better. That's the that's the okay. joke. It's a good one. It's a good pun. I'm a dad. I love a good dad joke pun. But keep going. Okay. Yes. Come... So. So we, we take that comparison and we, we think we just don't measure up. Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't have as romantic. We don't have the money to go out like them. And, and we compare ourselves to those who seem to have it better than us. Right. And we fall short in comparison. Instead yeah. of, on the flip side, again, I'm going to talk about grabbing your spouse's hand and finding your purpose. So instead of, on the flip side, looking for people that have life worse off than us, people that are in pain, financial mm. pain, emotional pain, and doing something together to better them and, and be around people who don't have it as well as us. Instead, we look at all those that we think, because, you know, you really don't know what's behind those screens. You know, right. you don't know the true reality. Right. And how many of us have, have looked at somebody, especially maybe somebody famous and thought, oh, it must be nice to be them. And then we find out later what was really going on, and we think, "Ooh, I don't want to trade. I used to want to trade my life for right. theirs, and ne- right. would never." You know? But yeah, who, I, didn't, I, who didn't want to be Bert and Lonnie? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, that's, a, that's not a dated reference at all. You were showing your '90s. I'm showing my '80s. That's, yeah, you, uh, the, the, you know, the, obviously Bert Reynolds, Lonnie Anderson. Uh, they were a beautiful, perfect couple for a little while, and obviously then got divorced. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think we need to be aware of the danger of social media. And I've actually had people come to me who have been just a a heap of tears because Mm -hmm. they constantly feel like they don't measure up. They're constantly comparing their marriage to someone else's, their life to someone else's. And I've said, like, either if you can't go cold turkey and just get off of it, then at least unfollow people or hide them or mute them on depending on what the platform is so you don't see their stuff anymore if you don't want to offend them by actually unfollowing them on instagram then just mute them mute their story mute their their feed and so you don't see their stuff anymore if you can't handle it if you can't handle seeing that yeah. their kids are you know all of that in a bag of chips or seem like they're all that in a bag of chips man exactly. coming apart at the seams you got it you're catching it yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. you know i we know that it's hard enough just to see the people in our real life that sometimes we feel less than and we compare ourselves to. But when we are on purpose, like picking up that device and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, it's it's detrimental. And so we need to, to stop doing it. And again, don't be looking at people that you think yeah. have it better than you. Go look for somebody that doesn't. And my mom actually is the one that taught me that. I remember being upset about something in middle school. 
I don't remember what it was. Probably didn't get invited to a party or something. And she said, you know what, honey, when, when you, honey, are at a place where you feel like life isn't going your way, circumstances have you down, always remember this. That sounds like the theme song for friends. Kind of. So life's a (laughs) joke, you're broke, you love less. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you sing too. Podcast (laughs) radio singer. Um, But always remember, she said, that there's somebody out there who has it worse off than you. Yeah. Go find that person and do something to make their day. And I guarantee you, it will make your day as well. That's such a better way to live rather than thinking, oh, it must be nice. No, go look for people that need help. Go look for people that need encouragement. And when you can do that with your spouse and find like together your little purpose and being a couple and, and, and encouraging other people, whether it's that you open your house for teenagers or you go visit in the nursing home, I don't care what it is, mm-hmm. some kind of service together and you are, are on the lookout for people that need a little hand up in life, it does something. It just does something. It's yeah. no longer all of you and trying to achieve this lofty goal of having this perfect marriage and a perfect house and perfect children. You're in the reality and you're helping to better someone else's life and it makes you fall in love with your spouse all over again. I'm telling you, it uh, does. Acts of service are huge. Doing it together is a huge, huge mood booster just for you and also will help bond you to the people you're doing service with. That's, yeah. that's just true. That's, it is. There's tons of science. I mean, it's not just anecdotal. There's tons of scientific evidence about what happens to your brain chemistry when you do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, as we're, we're going to wrap this up pretty soon here, but I, I do want to, uh, for our single friends out there, for those of us that don't have a a life partner, what is what is something that, uh, the number one thing that they can be looking for in, in choosing uh, a, a spouse and choosing a mate and choosing that person that, uh, that they're going to go through this, they're, they're going to keep showing up with and, and how do they, how do they know when that's, when that time is right? When that person is right? You know, I, I feel like I had so many pieces of advice thrown at me when I was single of mm-hmm. what to look for in a spouse yeah, and what yeah. not to look for in a spouse. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, really back then it was, um, the, D-I-S-C personality test. I don't even know what that's called. Or the Myers-Briggs or, uh-huh. you know, and now it's Enneagram. Now, now it's I Enneagram. It's say, the new thing. Oh, yeah. You got to find your perfect fit, you know. Yeah. And you know what? I think the most important thing to look for in somebody is humility. Mm. Somebody that does not think they are all that, can admit when they are wrong, can say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You know, Maybe it's going to bother you that they're messier than you are, or maybe it's going to bother you that they attack life a little differently. But if right. you can find somebody who is willing to admit when they're wrong and say, I'm sorry, yeah, that for me is it right there. And that's one thing I will say. I didn't want to cry on this. I'm sorry to cry. That, that I really feel like when people look at my husband and I and they comment on our marriage, I feel like that has been the key. It really has been that neither of us even though we have our, our periods where we are going down a path, a bad path, neither mm-hmm. of us has let that get out of hand where we have not come to a point where we've said, I'm sorry, I was out of line. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And the spouse says, yes, I forgive you. And you wipe the slate clean and you go on to the next day. And I feel like the, the couples I'm thinking about now that, that have been together even longer than my husband and I have been, that's what's present in all of their relationships. Mm. None of them have one or the other of the spouses who just is so prideful and won't admit when they're wrong right. and won't humble and won't um, try to compromise. But having that that view of yourself that you are not 
all of that. You are not God. You are not perfect, but you're a human being. You make mistakes mm. sometimes, and you're not too big to admit when you make a mistake and to say, I'm sorry, I forgive you and really mean it and really mean it and not say, okay, I forgive you now, but I'm going to tuck this away for later and I'm going to bring it back up. No, mm-hmm. no, you don't bring that into the future. You wipe the slate. I do think of it every day as, okay, we've now been married this many years, this many days. Let's try it again today. Let's see if we can get through today. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that bad way, but in a good way that it's, it's fresh, it's new. We're going to make mistakes but we're going to hopefully remedy them. Sometimes it takes a long time. I'm not saying this all happens in a 30 minute span of a sitcom, but it's that attitude that I'm not always right. I do make mistakes. I'm going to own it. I think that's the most important thing to look for in somebody else. If you're looking, you know, in the, the single days, you're looking for a life partner is that humility and willingness to admit when you're wrong, ask for forgiveness and start over again. And that's the definition of keep showing up right there. It is. It is. And that is as good a place to to end this as any. The book, Keep Showing Up, link to where to buy in the show notes. Karen, if people want to follow up with you, where can they follow up? They can find me online at KarenEman.com. And Eman is spelled E-H and then man. E-H-M-A-N. Amen. Amen. <laughs> link to the website in the show notes. Uh, and, and, and are you on social media? I know we joked about it before, but are you? I am. And on the homepage of my website, they're all there. Okay. So links to all that in the show notes. One last thing, and I ask this to everybody we have on the show, if I remember, what is one thing people can start doing today to make their life a whole lot better? Mm, Oh, now that's a loaded question. Oh, it is. It is. It is. Oh, my goodness. And I save it for Um, last for a reason. Today, uh, go find your old self. And by that, I mean... If in your past, this is mine, you were a lonely teenager in a broken home and you needed somebody to be there, go find your old self and do that for that person. That is that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Go and, and be the person that you wish you would have had when you were yes. at your hardest point. Yes. Either, either the person you wish you would have had or maybe the person that you did have in your yeah. life. But whatever it was, and, and you see this, you see a lot of people successful today in you know starting nonprofits or whatever, and it's because... They are serving somebody that is exactly where they were in their past. So that's mm. what I would say. Go find your old self and do something to make them their life better. That is amazing. Once again, Karen Eman, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate all of the wisdom you dropped on us. Links to everything that you need to get to know Karen better and to get her book in the show notes. And uh, I feel like there's so much I still wanted to talk to you about that we didn't get to today. So we're going to have to have you back on in the future at some point. I would love it. I'll keep showing up. <laughs> ah, wow, the puns. Are you sure you, you should write a book of dad jokes with all the puns you've got? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, shoot. Once again, Gib, I got to say, it's just, you know, there's, there's, I don't know how long it took her to come up with this title, but keep showing up is, and that's what happens is, you know, we just, we give up and we bail and, and, we don't uh, we don't keep showing up, right? Yeah, because you, you can anything can be fixed unless it's unless it's abuse. Anything can be fixed. Yes, and that and that, and she makes that point. Like look, there are there are a handful of situations where where you do need to get out, but for the, for most of us, uh, it's not one of those situations, and we need to just we need to keep showing up. And and thanks again to Karen even for her time. 
in uh, that, that amazing discussion we got to have. Thank you guys so much for listening, everybody. That's it for our show today. I am Gib Gerard, uh, alongside none other, like I always say, than John Tesh. If you would like to follow up with Thank us. Thank God there's none other. <laughs> if you would like to follow up <laughs> with us. It would be terrible. Facebook.com. So there's, you know, Al Troutwig. He's pretty similar. Sorry, it's true. <laughs> Facebook.com slash John Tesh. We spend the most time there. We go live. We post videos all the time. We try to respond to every single comment. Also on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. At Twitter, at John Tesh. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. Also at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every DM, every comment, every suggestion you have for a guest. I throw by our bookers to see if we can get them on the show. I am. Uh, I'm, I try to make this as interactive as possible. So if you have any suggestions, let us know there. But most importantly, thank you guys so much for listening. If you really want to help us out, rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Makes a big difference. The most important thing you can do is share it with a friend. Thank you guys again. We really, uh, we really appreciate it. Anything else you want to add before we go? No, you're going to have to walk up the end of the song. I here. know. I realize that we got we got ahead of ourselves this time. We never we're never usually this yeah. far ahead. So with that, I'll just say thanks. 